The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Daniel. We're in uh, Daniel chapter 9. And uh, as we uh, prepare to ascend the Mount Everest of Old Testament Bible prophecy, uh, some would consider the final verses of Daniel chapter 9 to be the most significant prophecy in all of the Old Testament and the most difficult prophecy to interpret in all of the Old Testament. And that's saying a lot. But Daniel chapter 9 is definitely a mountain worth climbing, and uh, the view at the top is incredible. Entire books have been written on Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27. Uh, Theologians have turned to this chapter over and over again to wrestle through the end time theology that's present here, and the questions that are here are significant. For example, if you look down at verse 24, what are the prophetic 70 weeks in verse 24 all about, and how does that make an end of sin? What are the 7 and 62 weeks in verse 25, and why does Daniel separate these weeks from the the last week? That's significant. How does that relate to Messiah the Prince? What does it mean for the Messiah to be cut off and have nothing in verse 26? And finally, who is Daniel talking about in verse 27, who makes a covenant and then breaks it in the middle of the week? We need to answer all of these questions. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary, and his consideration of this passage said, This passage has been variously treated and so distracted and almost torn to pieces by the various opinions of interpreters that it might be considered nearly useless on account of its obscurity. And he's not saying that it is useless. He's saying that it could be considered useless because when a passage demands more work than is normal to mine out the riches, many assume that it's not worth the effort. But that's not the way that we look at this passage of Scripture or any other passage of Scripture. In fact, Gabriel, the angel who delivered this prophecy to Daniel, said, Give heed to the message and gain understanding. Pay attention. Listen up. This is an important message. And this is a passage that deserves our attention, and the questions that are asked about it are worthy of being answered. But it's important for us to keep in mind that this entire chapter begins with 19 verses of Daniel pouring out his soul before God in adoration, confession, and supplication for his people. And it all began with the prayer for the restoration of his people, Israel. And if the answer to Daniel's prayer for restoration is not part of your understanding of this prophecy, you've missed the point because this prophecy is a direct answer to a specific prayer that Daniel uttered in verse 19, where he says, O Lord, hear O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. Take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's prophecy is connected to that prayer, and there's something that should encourage us all about that uh, because the Lord here was so concerned about this burden that his servant Daniel carried for his people that he brings Daniel to the top of this Mount Everest of prophecy to show him what the future holds for his people. He gives them this this panoramic view, you know, up at the mountaintop to look over the future. And from the top of this mountain, Daniel could see the full scope of God's plans for Israel. 
And the intention behind that view of the future was to give Daniel hope. In a recent uh, Q&A that John MacArthur had with the Master Seminary, he was, he was asked the question, what particular difference or what practical difference does understanding Bible prophecy make? You know, does it make any practical difference? And he answered this way. He said that a poor eschatology robs God of his glory and robs his people of their hope. And the future is here revealed to us that we might know that God will be glorified and that his people will be comforted. And this teaching about the end is intended to bring believers comfort, not contention, not confusion, but to bring believers comfort. And isn't that what we find in other words of, of prophecy? Comfort. Over in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, just for an example, where Paul elaborates on the, the rapture of the church, he also lets us know that it's a doctrine that's eminently practical. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, do what? Comfort one another with these words. The words of prophecy were meant to give the people of God comfort, to give the people of God hope. And I pray that as we walk through this text that's before us, that you'll be reminded that the Lord is concerned about his people, that he hears his people so much so that uh, he gives us this word of prophecy and much of what we might consider impractical or unimportant details are actually God's tender care for his people and a demonstration of God's comfort and his love for us. So uh, keeping that in mind gives us a motivation for the journey ahead of us. And that's good news because we're still a long way from home. So let's take another look at our text, Daniel chapter 9. We'll read verses 24 down to 27. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice in grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and Father, we are grateful for this passage, and Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of every promise of your word. Father, that's what we hold on to. This is a treasure that's given to us. So, Father, I pray that we would see it as the Word of God sees it, as you yourself see it. Father, that we would look at your your Word as pure gold, as much to be desired, even more than gold. Father, that we would seek after your Word as that treasure, that we would mine out the riches of it, and uh, that you'd help us, uh, Lord, to, to have an appreciation and that your people would be given comfort and hope through your Word that we would see your glory in your word, that, that the glory of, of God that's, that's displayed here, Lord, that we would see your glory. 
And uh, Father, I pray that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We can discern at least uh, four different sections in this prophecy. The first that we have is a summary of the Lord's decree to bring sin to an end and bring in righteousness. That's found in verse 24, uh, where it says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And just to summarize that again, it's the decree to do away with sin and to bring in righteousness. That's what the full 70-week prophecy is all about if you want to look at it at a high level. God is doing away with sin, and he's bringing in righteousness. And part of God's plan to do away with sin and bring in righteousness, part of that plan includes the chosen people and the holy city of Jerusalem, because that's how the prophecy starts. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So the restoration of Jerusalem is not some sidebar issue but it's central to God's plan for ending sin and bringing in righteousness to this world. And the demonstration of God's righteousness in Israel is an indication that he can bring that same righteousness everywhere. That's part one. That's the summary of the plan. The second part of this prophecy is found in verse 25, and it focuses on the first 69 weeks that takes us all the way to the introduction of Messiah, the Prince. This is the Savior of the people. So not only is the restoration of the city, the holy city, central to what the Lord is doing on the earth, so is Messiah the Prince. And the seven and 62 weeks, which are the first 69 weeks of this prophecy, introduces us to the Messiah who was promised to come. And during this time frame, Jerusalem would be built up, but it's important to note that the time of peace would not yet come during this time. Because the end of verse 25 says, it will be built up again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So, so the, the worldwide peace that we read about later on in Scripture has not yet come during this time frame of the 69 weeks. So this initial restoration is not the final restoration that would come later. The third part of this prophecy is found in verse 26 which focuses on a period of time after the 69 weeks. It says then after the 62 weeks, the 7 plus the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is the desolation of this prince who was to come. Both the Messiah and the city would be brought to an end. The Messiah would be cut off and have nothing, the city and the sanctuary would be destroyed. So whatever happened during this initial introduction of the Messiah was not the final restoration that Daniel was praying for. But there's one week that's left. You know, we've only covered 69, right? There's a final week. And that's what the fourth part of this prophecy points us to in verse 27. It says, this prince who is to come will make a firm covenant for one week. Here's the final week. That's the final week of the 70-week prophecy. And he will bring abominations and desolation until he is destroyed. A complete destruction will be poured out on him. And this is the destruction of this prince who is to come. At the end of verse 27, it says he will bring desolation even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. 
So this one who brings the desolation will himself be destroyed. The evil one will finally be condemned and the people of God will finally be comforted. And it's at this time that everything from verse 24 is fulfilled. And what's that? What's, what's being fulfilled? The finish, to finish the transgression? To make an end of sin? To make atonement for iniquity? To bring in everlasting righteousness? To seal up vision and prophecy? And to anoint the most holy place? And that's the summary of Daniel's prophecy, and it would have been exciting to think about. So let's begin by considering the promises that are given here under the summary of the plan. Under the summary of the plan, what are these promises that are given? Number one, the transgression of Israel will finally be finished. The only reason that Israel found themselves in captivity in the first place was because of their rebellion against God. That's what was made clear in Daniel's prayer. In Daniel chapter 9, in verse 5, it says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Back in the prophecy that was found in uh, Daniel chapter 8, uh, we learned that on account of transgression, in verse 12, that on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. All of that was said to happen as a result of their transgression. So why was Israel in captivity? It was because of their transgression, because of their rebellion. Why would they be given over to future Gentile rulers? It was because of their transgression. The rebellion of Israel led them into captivity and bondage and being given over to Gentile powers. It's their rebellion that stopped the regular sacrifice. It's because of their rebellion that the city and the sanctuary were destroyed. And God is saying, there's coming a time when that rebellion will come to its end. There's coming a time in the future. The history of Israel, as you know, is a long and painful history of rebellion and then restoration. Rebellion, restoration. It goes through the cycle of the judges, you know, where they repent and then they fall back again. Through the cycles of the, of the different kings, you know, a king would rise that's uh, righteous and another king that would rise that would be wicked. They're, they went through these constant cycles of rebellion and then restoration, even going into the rejection of the Messiah himself. But what this teaches us is that there's going to come one day when the rebellion will be over. There will be no more rebellion, and there's coming a day when they will look on the one whom they have pierced and mourn over him as one mourns over an only son. There will come a time when the nation will be finished with its rebellion against God, and we can all say, praise the Lord, right? They will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the promise of Daniel. Transgression will come to an end. Israel will not come to an end. Israel will not be replaced, but their rebellion will be cast off permanently. That's what's going to happen. One day, rebellion will come to an end. And what God demonstrates that he can do with Israel is proof of what he can do with the rest of us. Israel is like the, the test case. You know, I can do it with Israel. I can do it with anybody. And we too can be thankful that our transgressions and rebellious acts have not permanently set us aside from the Lord either. Just as Israel's rebellion in the past has not permanently set them aside, we can be grateful that the Lord has not permanently set us aside because of our past acts of rebellion. Our transgressions have not permanently separated us from the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing and that includes you, 
just in case you're wondering, you're included in that created things, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot separate ourselves from the love of Christ. Our, our salvation is too precious for God to trust us with it. Uh, the Puritan Richard Sibb says, God will not trust us with our own salvation, but, is both, but it is both purchased and kept by Christ for us, and we for it through faith. And Israel is an example for us that God will not allow transgression to have the final say. Transgression will be finished. But not only that, text also says that he will make an end of sin. Not only will rebellion be dealt with, but sin itself will be removed. To make an end of sin could be translated in the sense of, of taking away sins, bringing sin to its final judgment. Sin will be put to an end. One, one commentator describes it as sin altogether being removed from God's sight. If you remember uh, back in Leviticus chapter 16, there was a, a practice that's described for us there in Leviticus 16. We're on the Day of Atonement. There were two goats that were selected. One was to be sacrificed as a sin offering, symbolizing that, that death was uh, the proper uh, punishment for sin, that sin required and deserved death. And the other was a goat that was sent away into the wilderness, a scapegoat that, that bore the sins of the people that was sent away, symbolizing their sins being taken away. Listen to this description in Leviticus 16, 21. It says, Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. The scapegoat was sent into a solitary land to die alone, symbolically bearing the iniquities of the people, all the transgressions of the people, symbolically removing the sins from the people. And we know that ultimately that removal of sins came through Jesus Christ. Not only did the Lord fulfill the picture of the goat that was slain, but also the goat that was sent away. And in those three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, all iniquities, transgressions were placed upon him, and he was abandoned to bear that alone. Jesus was like the one sent off into the wilderness to bear the sins alone of his people. He became what he was not, sin, so that we could become what we are not, righteous. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And as 1 John 3 says, in verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, have John the Baptist the next day when he saw Jesus coming to him, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Daniel was promised that one day sin would be put to an end. It would be removed. Sin would finally find its judgment day. There would be a judgment day for sin. And even more than that, there would one day be a, a time when sins would no longer be committed. Again, if you remember what Daniel has been burdened by, he's been burdened by the sins that have been committed by his people Israel. That, that's why he's coming to the Lord. He's confessing their sins. But as the, the hymn writer says, there's coming a, a day when we will be saved to sin no more. When we won't have to come before the Lord to confess our sins because our sins will be removed. There's coming that day when, when sins will be done away with. Ralph Venning in his uh, book, uh, appeared in, in his book uh, titled The Sinfulness of Sin, he writes this. 
He says, nothing is so evil as sin. Nothing is evil but sin. As the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, so neither the sufferings of this, this life are worthy to be compared with the evil of sin. No evil is displeasing to God or destructive to man, but the evil of sin. Sin is worse than affliction, worse than death, worse than the devil, worse than hell. Affliction is not so afflictive. Death is not so deadly. The devil not so devilish, and hell is not so hellish as sin is. But there's coming a day when we'll be done away with sin. <laughs> Sins will be done away with. 1 John 3 and verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Sin will finally have its end date. And what's the provision that's been made to deal with our sin and rebellion? The provision that God has made to remove our sins and rebellion is the atonement for iniquity. And that's the next part that we find here in Daniel chapter 9. Verse 24, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. This prophecy of Daniel is just so far-reaching in its scope. And it touches on the ultimate solution for the problem of sin. The, the word for atonement here means to cover, but also has links with the words that, that mean to purge, to cleanse, to wipe it clean. And what Daniel's words indicate is that there is a sacrificial offering that was to come that would provide a cleansing that had not yet been provided for Israel. There, there would come this atonement for sin, atonement for iniquity. There was no sacrifice in Israel that could finish transgression and wipe sin clean. No, no such sacrifice existed. We read about it earlier in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, right? That all the other sacrifices could never remove sins. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of things, uh, good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, not have, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But Jesus, in his atonement, is where sin is finally judged and put to death. This is where it happens. This is where the cleansing for sin takes place. And this is what Daniel is looking ahead to. He's looking ahead to this time when sin would finally be done away with, when it would finally be atoned. And all this is found in Daniel chapter 9. And this, this is what I find so fascinating about this prophecy in Daniel, just the, the scope of it how, it, how it pulls in all these themes that we read later on in Scripture concerning Jesus Christ himself. Sins are going to be atoned for, to make atonement for iniquity. That is going to happen. And what's going to happen as a result of that? The next point, to bring in everlasting righteousness. What is the kind of kingdom that this brings in? A kingdom of everlasting righteousness. As one author says, it's the sacrifice that forms an eternal basis for the kingdom itself. He, he brings in righteousness. And we all understand that sinners are declared righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're justified or counted as righteousness because of what Christ has done for us. But the messianic passages of the Old Testament look forward to a time when righteousness would be applied to the earth. So there, there's one sense, sense where, where uh, just kind of forensically the, our, our justification has been accomplished in the atonement of Jesus Christ. That, that we're declared righteous in his sight because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
In uh, Philippians chapter 3 and 9, it says, We may be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. We've been given as a gift righteousness because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 says that he has become to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We've been declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. But there's also another sense where practical righteousness is going to be brought into the earth. And how does that happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. And that's the question that the disciples were asking about over in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 after the resurrection. Uh, When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time when this righteous kingdom is going to be brought to the earth? And that's the restoration that Daniel has in mind, the righteous rule of the Messiah on the earth, this everlasting righteousness. And we know that's true because Daniel was reading what book? Anybody remember? The book of Jeremiah. And what does Jeremiah say? Flip back to Jeremiah chapter 23. Flip back to Jeremiah chapter 23. This will be be helpful for you to, to think through here. This is what Daniel has been been reading and what he's looking forward to and what he's praying for. Jeremiah 23, look at verse verse 5. This is what he says. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is a reference to the Messiah, the righteous branch from David. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. That's the the reign of the Messiah. He's going to bring in righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That's the, the righteous rule that Daniel and the apostles were anticipating. That's what excited their hearts and gave them hope. It's this messianic kingdom described over in Isaiah chapter 11. Why don't you flip over to Isaiah chapter 11 as well? Just to to think through a little bit more of this uh, righteous reign that was promised to come. And again, Isaiah and Jeremiah being written before Daniel. So Daniel would have had access to these writings. Isaiah chapter 11, look at verse 1. Again, this one who's to come from from David. Look at verse, verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he, his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Daniel's prayer for righteousness, for this everlasting righteousness, would be answered in the kingdom of the Messiah. That's how his prayer would be answered. When when Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, would come and bring in everlasting righteousness. His prayer would ultimately be answered by the Messiah. And the righteousness that he brings is an everlasting righteousness. 
And there's no end to this righteous kingdom. And, and again, just think about the, you know, all the threads that are coming together. Daniel chapter 2 talks about this everlasting stone, this, the, the stone that's not cut by human hands that comes and crushes the kingdoms of the earth in Daniel chapter 2. We read in uh, Daniel chapter 7 about the, uh, uh, the son of man who comes to the ancient of days and receives the kingdom and comes and brings that kingdom to earth. And now we find in Daniel chapter 9 that there's coming one who is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. It's, it's all tied together. Psalm, uh, Psalm 72 also speaks of this righteous reign. It says in verse 17, May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. Let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Are, are you looking forward to that time? <laughs> uh, have you had enough of, of corruption in our world and government all around us? Who longs for a righteous reign? I mean, I, I know I do. And when we think again about the glory of the Lord from, from sea to shining sea all across the entire earth, you know, uh, from the rising to the setting of the sun, righteousness being spread across this globe, it's Jesus Christ that brings that in. And he's the one that will be glorified on that day when he comes to bring in this righteous reign. So the prayer of Daniel is ultimately answered by the coming of the Messiah. And it's the same thing that we should be praying for. You know, every time when we come before the Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what you're praying for, whether you realize it or not. This is what you're praying for. You're praying for the righteous reign of the Messiah to come. And this time is also described as a sealing up of prophecy to seal up vision and prophecy back in Daniel 9, 24, to seal up vision and, and prophecy. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel received a prophecy. He was told to seal it up, to keep it secret because it pertained to many days in the future. The idea was that it would be fulfilled in a future generation. And the idea of prophecy being sealed comes from the, the picture of an, an ancient letter that was sealed. And once the letter was sealed, the contents could not be changed it was official. The seal authenticated that message. And that same language is found later on in Daniel chapter 12, uh, where uh, Daniel is told to go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. And again, the idea is that, that prophecy, the prophecy he was given, pertained to a future time and that it would be fulfilled in a future generation. And prophecies during this time were still being given. Uh, Daniel was still being given prophecies about the future. You know, there's other prophets who would come after Daniel who would be given prophecies about the future. But there would come a time in the future when all that was necessary to be said would be said. There would come a time when there would be no need for ongoing revelation, no more visions, no more prophecies. The redemptive history would one day be brought to a conclusion, and the people of God will finally have their rest. The story of redemption has an ending chapter. And then lastly, Daniel is told that the most holy place will be anointed. The most holy place will be anointed. In the context of the book of Daniel, he would have understood the most holy place to be the temple in Jerusalem. Where, where has Daniel been facing every day, three times a day for 67 years? He's been facing towards Jerusalem. That, that's what he's considering. His prayers are directed to heaven, but his face is directed to Jerusalem. And the holy place in Jerusalem would have been torn down, just a pile of rocks at this time. But there is a promise here of a future for that place. 
that the holy place would be anointed again, and it would be connected to the ministry of the Messiah. One author writes this, that the term most holy is used always of holy things, holy places of the tent of meeting, the temple, the territory belonging to the temple. And this well near universal use of the holiest place compels us to interpret the term as of either the temple or especially the altar of burnt offering. And there's coming a time in the future when Jerusalem will be restored and set apart for a purpose. That's what the anointing would signify, that it's being set apart for a purpose. And it's a time that Ezekiel prophesies about where the sanctuary would be rebuilt according to the vision of Ezekiel 45, and Mount Zion would become the headquarters of the Messiah. There's coming a time when Jerusalem will be the capital city of the Messiah. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Just so you can see this. Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verses 1 to 3. Isaiah 2 verses 1 to 3. It says, The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem... Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. And all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. Has that happened yet? No. So if it hasn't happened yet, we're looking forward to it happening in the future. This is going to happen. That that Jerusalem will be the capital city of the Lord. And all the nations will stream to it. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us. Micah chapter 4 and verse 1 says, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 21. It says, The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. There's coming a time when all the nations will stream to Jerusalem just as the scriptures predict that they would. And as we jump into this prophecy, again, it's important to understand that this is the answer to Daniel's prayer in verse 19 of chapter nine, where he's praying for the restoration of, of Jerusalem. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen, take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay. Why? Because your city and your people are called by your name. God, this is about your glory. This is about what you said you would do. And God, I'm asking you to do it. Would you do what you've said you would do? Why? Because this is what brings you glory. This is what brings you glory. Prophecy is about the glory of God and the comfort of his people, and God will accomplish this. But what are the prophetic 70 weeks in verse 24 all about? What are the 7 and 62 weeks in verse 25? And uh, how does that relate to the Messiah and 
What does it mean for him to be cut off? And who is Daniel talking about in verse 27 who makes a covenant and breaks it in the middle of the week? We need to answer all those questions, but we're not going to answer them today. (laughs) But can we just appreciate what we have here? Can we appreciate this? That God is going to finish transgression, that there's going to be an end to rebellion? One day the rebellion of God's people will be over with, and God will receive glory even from the nation of Israel. This nation that has rebelled and turned against God for so many years, that God has said, I'm not done with you. <laughs> I mean, this, this nation, all the way back from Genesis chapter 12, being called through Abraham, right? You know, that I will make of you a nation, and that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God will fulfill that promise. Every nation of the earth will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And all the nations will come up to the mountain of Jerusalem to hear from God. There's coming a time when that will be fulfilled and Israel will be done with its rebellion. That's something that will glorify the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 31, I'll just read this uh, starting at verse 33. It says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord. Why? Why won't anybody have to say, hey, know the Lord. Hey, know the Lord. Why won't they have to say that anymore? Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. You're done with your rebellion. You're done with your sin. There's coming a time when that will be true. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Listen to this. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. God will be true to his word. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, the foundations of the earth searched out below. Then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. That's a reminder that the Lord is going to be faithful. And if the Lord is faithful to them, we can also trust that the Lord will be faithful to us. That God will not cast me aside. Even after the many times that I've rebelled against him. Even after the times that I've transgressed against his word. That God is going to be faithful to me, that I don't have to fear that somehow I've sinned beyond his grace. There's grace that is greater than our sin. And that's something that we can praise God for. Number two, can we just be reminded and praise God that he will make an end to sin? (laughs) Have have you ever wondered, when will I finally be done with the the struggles that I have? (laughs) You know, these sins that I continually fall into, you know, the sins that easily beset me. Lord, when am I going to be done with that? You know, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this flesh? Do you know that there's coming a day when you will sin no more? That's something that we can be excited about. Brothers and sisters, there's a day coming where we will no longer struggle with our sin. That's something that we can give God praise for. Is that an encouragement? (laughs) That one day I won't have to come before the Lord to say, Lord, I've done it again. Please forgive me. There's coming a day when you will sin no more. We're saved to sin no more. It's an encouragement also to know that there's an atonement for our iniquity. There's an atonement for sin. There's grace greater than our sin. 
And as great as your sin may be, grace is greater and removes your sin from you because we no longer just have the shadow of that sacrifice to come, but we have the reality in Jesus Christ that all sins have been taken care of in Jesus Christ. And when he died, when he, when he hung there for those three hours and he says, it is finished, he's talking about your sins being finished, that it's been paid for, it's, it's been complete. There's nothing else that's left to give. So therefore, as Romans chapter eight says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we don't have to walk around with this like heavy weight of sin on us anymore. That God, I've got the atonement for my sins and I can come boldly before the throne of grace for mercy and help in the time of need because there's a sacrifice that's been made for me. I don't come before the Lord based on what I've done. I don't come before the Lord trying to somehow, you know, outweigh my, my, my bad deeds with my good deeds. That's not how I come before the Lord. I come before the Lord with the full atonement having been made. We sang it earlier. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. We've got a full atonement for our sins. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. 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 And we need to give God praise because he's one day going to bring in everlasting righteousness. There's coming a time when nobody will have to go to his neighbor saying, hey, know the Lord, know the Lord. Why? Because they will all know me. God will transform this earth. There's one thing that I've, I've thought about often, that if I did not believe in a future for this planet, in a messianic kingdom, in a literal reign of Christ on this earth, uh, Satan would have had the earth under his control from Genesis 3 all the way until the, the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, where, where's the time when Christ has his reign on the earth? When, when's that time coming? When does the time come for Christ to come and rule over his own creation? When does that time come? Is, is this all just going to be Satan ruling until, oh, I guess it's all just wrapped up. I mean, there's nothing we can do with it. It's beyond repair. No, Jesus Christ will come and reign over this earth. He's coming back just as he promised that he would, and everlasting righteousness will reign on the earth. This is something that we can look forward to. Psalm 72, verse 8 says, May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 21 says, The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord. That's coming. We're looking forward to that time when Jesus Christ will reign over this earth. And this is an answer to Daniel's prayer. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, take action. And God says, I'm going to take action. I'm coming back. I'm sending my son. And this is what we can look forward to next time we get together in Daniel chapter 9 to explore more of what's going on and what will come. But this is something that we can give God praise for. Give God praise for. Amen. Let's uh, go to the Lord in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for the words of this prophecy. My Father, what a, what a joy it is to uncover your truth, Lord, to, to look into it. My Father, to, to mine out all the, the riches that are here. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as, uh, as your people, Lord, that, that we would seek after your glory. My Father, that we would be excited about what's to come, that we would have this anticipation even as the disciples did. Is it at this time? We're anticipating the time when Christ is to come and to rule and to reign. We've had enough with seeing the world ruled by wicked men. We're longing for the Savior to come. 
And so, Father, I pray that that would be true of our hearts, uh, that we would pray as the Apostle John, even quickly, come, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, this would be our desire. And, Father, we know that this is what brings hope and comfort to your people. Now, Father, the, the hope is not to be found in this life. It's not to be found with uh, wicked men. It's not to be found with the, uh, the systems of this world. Now, Father, the hope for this world is outside of this world. It's when that, that stone comes and crushes the kingdoms of this world and takes over every inch of this planet. Father, we look forward to that day when your son will come and when your son will be glorified. As the scripture says, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.